Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. There's another video of how they erected and how they folded out. It's, it's quite amazing. I thought it was such a powerful story of how generosity can touch the lives of people. And uh, we, we had um, five or six hours worth of meetings in one place. And at the end of it, I, I leant over to him and I said, you know, Leo, South Africa needs, I said businessmen, because there were just men there, but South Africa needs businessmen and businesswomen who are known for being Christians. I think there are too many Christian businessmen and women who kind of like are incognito, undercover. No one knows they're Christian. But actually, we, we need to be known as being Christian businessmen. And not for our preaching, although I, I, I'm a preacher at heart. I firmly believe that there is and must be a place for clearly sharing the gospel and being concise in it and doing it in a way that cuts to the heart. But I said to him, what we really need to be known for is I I feel three things, and there might be more, and that's integrity, huge integrity, and wisdom, because God promises that if you ask me for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom, and there are a lot of foolish people out there whose lives we're blessed by wisdom, so it's integrity and wisdom and generosity, because generosity is hard to find. People live for themselves. We need to look different. And the truth of it is that this isn't, this isn't just for businessmen, businessmen and businesswomen. Guys, this is for us. If you are a believer in Christ and your life has been impacted by the generosity of Jesus and by his kingdom coming in your life, then this is for all of us. Businessmen, businesswomen, um, ladies at home looking after your, your families and bringing up your kids and students and scholars, even the unemployed, don't discount yourselves. You can be unemployed and be known for being generous by the grace of God and wisdom and integrity. This is for the church of Jesus Christ. And the the need in South Africa is overwhelming. It actually can be quite an attractive option to put the blinkers on your eyes and drive and not look left or right because it's hard to look left or right. I can remember many, many years ago driving up to a robot. We're sitting at the robot, and there was a guy banging at the side, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and my five-year-old son was sitting on the seat, and tears were just rolling down his eyes. And I said to him, Jackie, what's wrong, boy? And he said, I'm just thinking about that man, Dad. And it's actually, it's not, it's not great to have those moments again and again. So we, we can live with blinkers on our eyes. And I've personally found living in South Africa a challenge lately with all the bribery and corruption and the injustice and the kind of I don't care attitude that comes from our government with regards to the poor and vulnerable in this land. And it's almost like we, we're waiting. We're waiting for the government to get their act together. We're waiting for them to get their act together and to use taxpayers' money in good ways to serve the poor and the vulnerable as they should be. But you know what South Africa is really waiting for? South Africa is waiting for the church. That's what our South Africa is waiting for. I'm not talking about a church meeting. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, those who've been redeemed, those who've been changed. South Africa are waiting for them. Because on the one hand, what we have is we've got, we've got so much poverty. We've got the poor, the destitute, the lonely, the, the bitter, the angry, even the unjust. 
And they, on the, on the one hand, are waiting for those on the other hand who know that I, my home is actually a building, a city whose foundations are the architect and the builder of that is God. This is not my home. This is my home. I've got something far better to look forward to. And when we hold on to this life lightly, it enables us to live in this way. And so what we, we're going to look at this morning is the, the, this story in Luke chapter 10 um, that the, the collators of the Bible called the Good Samaritan. So let's, let's read. Luke 10 verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying to him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to the lawyer, What, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Basically what Jesus is saying to him is you've absolutely nailed it. This is what true Christian living is. This is what true faith it is. It's loving God and loving people. And Jesus could have separated them. He doesn't. He kind of makes it one thing, loving God and loving people. And then it says, verse 29, but the lawyer, desiring to just him, justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and he tells him this quite famous story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay to you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus asked this lawyer, and the lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's quite a powerful story. I I honestly believe that in our nation at the moment, the hope for this nation is not in the ANC ruling well. Sorry if you're ANC member. It's not in the DA coming to power. Sorry if you're a DA member. It's not in the EFF proving that Floyd didn't take 10 million from VVS Bank. I've got a feeling he did. It's definitely not in that. Okay. Our hope isn't in the unemployment figures improving, although we want that. Our hope isn't in white people getting their act together or black people getting their act together. Our hope isn't in the this hope that, well, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Our hope definitely isn't in thinking that we'll one day have taxi drivers that care about anyone else on the road, okay? Our hope isn't in those things. 
the hope for this nation is in the church of Jesus Christ getting its act together. I, I honestly, I believe that with all my heart. There are some times that I flounder a little because life is hard. And I find it, I find it very difficult to see the, the injustice in our nation. And it's always the poor that suffer. Always. Always. Those who have more, we, we kind of protected from it. And I get angry with that. And I get disillusioned with that. And I sometimes think, come on, God, what's happening here? Thinking that the answer is going to come from politics. It isn't. The hope for our nation is in the church of Jesus Christ, overflowing with integrity and wisdom and generosity to a world that are in desperate need of it. And that's all of us, guys. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here today, and he has changed your life, this isn't for the elders of the church. Well, it is, but it's not just for them. It's not just for their wives. It's not just for leaders. It's not just for people who have been Christians for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. If you are what the scripture says, I'm now hidden in Christ. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. If you can say that of yourself, then this is for you. And you might say, but Wayne, I don't, you don't know my past. No, I do. I do, and I'll tell you why. These guys have told me about it. No, I'm only kidding. Yeah. They haven't. Okay. I know because my, our stories are the same. The details are different, but the stories are the same. We were in the same dire situation without God. We needed the same rescue plan because we couldn't rescue ourselves. We have the same Savior, and now we're called onto the same mission. It's the mission of the coming kingdom of God. It's Jesus' mission. And if you, if you, the, your current mission field, unless you're visiting from overseas today, welcome if you are, your current mission field is South Africa. This is our mission field, guys. And this, this, this story that Jesus told you, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually infamous. It was kind of like Malabongwe Drive. You know, you say to your wife, when you go there, don't, please don't have your bag on the front seat and close your windows, okay? You've got to be careful. Now, you can't, you can't close the window of a donkey, but this road was similar to that, okay? This road, it was known, this is what it was called. It was called the Bloody Way. That's what that road was called. It was known for being a hotspot. It was known that if you travel on that road, there's a good chance that you're going to be hit by scullies. And the reason, the reason that Jesus is telling it like this is because what he wants you to do is he wants you to put yourself in the story and say, this isn't abnormal. The fact that there might have been someone lying there who'd been robbed and left for dead is not abnormal. What that means is it could have been you. could have been you. And he wants, he wants the lawyer to put himself in there and, and feel what it would feel like to have people passing you by when you're in desperate need for help and then what it feels like when someone stops and helps you. That's what Jesus wants. So verse 30 says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. I think it's kind of like saying, a man was going on his way to the office and life happened. His brakes failed. Okay. My brother-in-law's got a, a group that he cycles with in southern suburbs. Three weeks ago, the group of cyclists was hit by a car on a Sunday morning. 50-year-old man died, dead. Gone, life happens. But a friend of ours phoned me on Thursday morning. He's a Congolese uh, brother, 60-year-old man, who has cared for his family here for 10 years by himself. 
His wife died of malaria on the way when they were coming down from Zambia. And he sells wooden couriers down on the beachfront of Tableview. You probably have seen him many times before. Found me Thursday morning. He has nothing. Went out of his shack on a Thursday morning and the trailer that he houses all of his stock had been stolen with 20,000 rands worth of stock for the summer. Gone. This is life. Man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. That's life. And today I just want to go through some lessons we can learn from this man who stopped to care for this other man. I'm going to go through them quickly and you can uh, take, take out of it what you want. I guarantee you there's going to be, there's going to be something in there for you, okay? Unless, unless you are a cardboard pinout this morning and most of you are moving, okay? There's going to be something in it for you, okay? So the first thing is this. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was, where he had been overcome by robbers. And when the Samaritan saw him, it said he had compassion. He had compassion. My first thing is this, guys. Compassion matters. Yes, Jesus hates sin, but he's also deeply moved by the consequence of sin. The gospel writers tell us many times, Jesus looked with them with compassion. Jesus moved by compassion. Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus tells a story here where the hero in the story is moved with compassion. And I get the feeling that we're not meant to walk past frail humanity on the bloody way of life and not be moved by it. We're meant to be moved by it. Loving God and loving your neighbor includes being moved with compassion. But then, it's not just, oh, I was moved with compassion and I cried, okay? You can be moved to tears without being moved to action. But the impact here in this story is that the Samaritan was moved to action. If you look at verse 34 onwards, there are so many doing words. Is that called a verb for big people? Okay? There's so many doing words. It says, he went to him. He bound his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He set him on his animal. He brought him to an end. He took care of him. He took out money and gave the money, saying, whatever more you spend, I will repay you. And what you see is that this, this compassion must move us to action. Thirdly, he doesn't rationalize the situation. And you could have done, I'll tell you something, there can be loads of reasons why we shouldn't help people, and some of them are quite good reasons. Some of them, sometimes you might come up with them and feel quite good about yourself afterwards, that you gave a good reason, why, and actually it makes sense. But the, the Samaritan doesn't do this. There are two men who went before him who I reckon rationalize. They might have said very sensible things. They might have said, he's just been overtaken by robbers. They might still be hiding behind the rock over there. I'm alone. This is crazy to stop. Fair, fair, isn't it? He might have been, and this, this is another situation that might have been real. He might have been serving in the temple for a month in Jerusalem and on his way to his family after a hard month of work traveling and just wanted to get home. Fair. This would be like you in the traffic on the way home after a heavy week at work, Friday afternoon, traffic backed up and someone gets a puncture on the side. And you thinking, oh, it's been such a hard week and I went to life group on Tuesday and I helped this guy in the church on Wednesday and there'll be someone else who will help him. Maybe this guy was thinking this. 
The Levite, maybe he helped someone the week before. Maybe he had an appointment to get to and he's running late. And if you know, I, I, I'll never forget this moment. I, many years ago, I was, I was a member of a church in Jubilee and we had a, a youth leaders meeting on the Sunday evening. And I was down opposite Dudels getting very, very good surf. And I w- it went longer and longer to me being, I'm going to be late for this meeting, but the surf's really good. I'm going to be late, and I'm surfing as long as I can because the surf was really good. I then got into my car and drove through. And as I reached Pardon Island, there was a guy on his bike that had been knocked down, okay? And I drove by, and for three kilometers, I kept going, I should turn back and help. I should turn back and help. I should turn back and help. But I'm going to be late for this meeting. Do you you spot the incongruency here? I could could surf. I could surf and be late for a meeting, but not stop and help someone. And there might be loads of good reasons. I'm being vulnerable with you guys there. I'm being vulnerable with you, okay? There are loads of good reasons why you might not stop. And some of them might be very good. But this Samaritan did not do that. He didn't rationalize. He stopped and helped. Fourthly, helping involves interruption. Now, there's so much desperate need in South Africa that I do think that sometimes we need to be wise and not burn out from giving ourselves endlessly to helping people in need. But I'll tell you this, I actually think that the bigger challenge is this, is that we don't like our plans and our comfort being interrupted. It's true, isn't it? Am I the only selfish one in the room? It's true. It's true. We don't like our plans being interrupted. We've got this plan for our lives, and we're on a trajectory or a plan for a week or just the plan for today, and we don't like that to be interrupted. This man also had a plan. He's not out, he's not out doing Table Mountain hike on a Sunday afternoon because that's what he does for leisure. No, it's a different time. He's on a journey. He's got a long walk. He's got someone to see, something to do, business to do, but he was prepared to be interrupted. Fifthly, what about the, the, this dilemma between helping those that are close to us and familiar with us, which can come easier, and helping those who are strangers, possibly even enemies? And I think that can sometimes happen. We can sometimes be very good with helping those that are close to us, but put up these walls of, no, that's not my responsibility. Someone else will look after you. He didn't do this. He didn't know this man. In fact, we, we know from studying Scripture, there have been centuries of division between the Jews and Samaritans that he, he, there might have been ways that he could see this was a Jew. And th- this is probably possibly an enemy, certainly in feeling. The Samaritan doesn't do that. He, he cares for the close, the familiar, the stranger, the enemy. This is true of different faith groups as well. I think Jesus intentionally here marries the actions of this Samaritan with the plight of the Jew. They had kind of been at war with each other, both figuratively and really, uh, political, land, religion, across centuries. So there's, there's, no, there's no love lost over here, but, but the, the, the Samaritan stops to help him. You know, in Galatians 6 verse 9, it says that we shouldn't get tired of doing good because at a proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And then in verse 10, it says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the body of believers. So it does say especially to believers. That's right. But it doesn't say only to believers. All people. And I actually think this is part of the witness of Christ. I'll tell you this. 
And I'll welcome you this morning, if you, if you are someone of a different faith visiting here this morning, whether it be from a Muslim background or a Buddhist background, I think you'd probably agree with me that there would not be an expectation that the first people to help you would be Christians. But you know what? This is part of the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that love empowers us to help those that are very different to us. That's what the Samaritan does here. Then there's the whole thing of, is it safe to help, or is there a risk to help? No, there often is a risk to help. This is genuine. The guy had been overtaken by robbers. They might still have been there. It was a road that was known as the bloody way. He was by himself, but he's prepared to take the risk to help. And it's sacrifice. It's costly. It's costly. What we see is he, he, he didn't just, you know, he, he, he didn't just pat the guy on his shoulder, you know, there, there. No, it says he took out his oil and wine to embalm him. I can only assume that the oil and wine was either for eating or for trading. There's a, there's a cost here. There's a personal sacrifice. And it says that he bandaged him. I thought, I don't know, is this, is this Samaritan's donkey, the local ambulance? It's got a red sign posted on the, on the side. E-oh, e-oh, e-oh. You know, I didn't think so. I, I, don't, I don't think he's got bandages with him. Do you know what I think it means? He takes a garment, either that was on him or was spare, and he tears it, and he makes a bandage to embalm this guy. Being a good Samaritan is, is costly. It involves sacrifice. Now, I just want to say at this point, I, I actually would prefer not to call this story the Good Samaritan. Now, you might think, well, that's oh, sacrilege scripture. But actually, the title the Good Samaritan isn't God breathes scripture. The title of Good Samaritan is put into the story by the collators of the Bible to help us reference it. And I think this is what happens. When we hear the Good Samaritan, we can often think this is a story for people who have mercy ministry or for people who God has done deep work in. This is for goody, goody Christians and we're excluded. But that's not the case. That isn't the case. The context of the story is that the lawyer asked Jesus this question, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' answer, well, he answered it, but Jesus affirms the answer, says, actually, eternal life is about loving God and loving people. And this loving people, the good Samaritan, is an overflow of the eternal life that Jesus Christ has breathed into you. sacrifice and costly. What about finances? Because I don't, I don't, I don't, we shouldn't have that if we struggle financially, and there are many people that struggle financially, or if we're poor, and there are many people who are poor. We shouldn't have that we feel that excludes us from helping others. So I, I think, yes, the Samaritan owned the local ambulance service in the donkey, okay? But I don't think the Samaritan was well off, and I'll tell you why. When he leaves the Jewish man at the innkeeper, he doesn't open his purse and say, well, here's, here's all I have. It'll be more than enough to cover it. It says, he counted out two coins. I reckon he's considering. What was my journey for? What do I still need? Who, do, who am I still seeing? What am whatever? And then he says, in his mind, I can only give you two coins right now. But when I come back, if there's anything else that's needed to cover this, I'll give you more. I don't think this man was wealthy. And I, and I, and I honestly think this. I think that one of the, the best signs of health 
in the church of Jesus Christ is this. It's when the poor serve the poor. Now, that's not excluding those who have from serving the poor, but I think a sign of health in the church of Jesus Christ is when the poor serve their poor. In 2 Corinthians, uh, 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 Paul speaks about the church in, I think it's Macedonia, it says, out of their poverty, riches welled up. Out of their poverty. And so none of us are excluded here. Romans 8 verse 1 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think in this story, there there are no exceptions for those that are in Christ Jesus. It includes all of us. Black and white, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, this includes all of us. A couple of other things quickly. You see, there's no expectation of repayment here. This man will be robbed of everything. You help without, I'm not expecting repayment here. Okay? Um, it's unexpected, which means it's inconvenient. Stuff like this always, there's never a right time to, to be robbed, is there? There's never a right time for your car to break down. There's never a right time to lose a limb. There's never a right time for sickness. So when you're going to help those people and love those people and serve those people, will not come at the right time because there's never a right time for it. There's inconvenience involved. This man had to stop his journey. It was inconvenient. The other two didn't. They're not prepared to inconvenience themselves. And then what about the, the, the spirit of giving and serving and caring? I get the feeling in this story that the Samaritan man is full of tender humility and love. You know, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, possibly the most challenging uh, passage on giving in Scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And this, this is what the spirit of us giving and serving is caring and is meant to be. It's meant to be cheerful. Not reluctant, not forced, not stingy, not with regret. God is very generous, very generous, but he's also cheerful in his generosity. And the way we do that is we, again, we hold lightly to the things of this world. We look for, actually, our inheritances in another kingdom. We value things rightly. And then, then we, we give with, with cheerful hearts. And you know, at the end of this, this story, verse 37, very challenging. This is what Jesus says. Now you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. This can sound all very good until we personalize it and bring it into ourselves. No, not me, Jesus. Surely there's something else for me to do. No, you go and do likewise. Now, if you're anything like me, you can feel a little bit low after reading a list like this. You can. I know I can do a lot better with uh, being a cheerful giver. I can help people and be pretty grumpy about it. Okay? But actually, God calls me to be a cheerful giver. And so you read a list like this, you think, well, actually, I, 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 I can't do this. I can't do this, but we're meant to do it. But you know what? It, it, it gets even worse. Because remember the original question, what they're talking about here is eternal life. The lawyer asks Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is simple. This is the answer. This is what you're to do for eternal life. You're meant to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, perfectly, all the time. And, just one more thing, then you love your neighbor as yourself. Without ever failing it. That's how you inherit eternal life. Now I want to ask you, 
Have you done this? Have you done this? Could we ever hope to get this right? Can we? <laughs> no. Do you, know, do you know what Jesus is saying to this lawyer? This is what you should do, but you can't. You need a savior. <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing here. Because generally what happens is this, is we have a pretty good idea for our lives about what success looks like. Whether you make that a career or education or happy family or success in the workplace or on the sport field. And then that's what we love with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. That's what we love. And it usually either excludes God completely, absolutely out of the picture, or it includes him now and then when you feel like it serves your purposes on the journey that you're on. But slowly life begins to happen. You've set this career as this thing that's going to save you and give you happiness, and you get retrenched. You've set health as this thing that's going to be your anchor in life, and you get desperately sick. You set this relationship as a thing that gives you your purpose in life, and then your husband or your wife dies. I had a friend of mine last year, 39 years old, had a severe pain in his wrist. Goes to the doctor, and they say, your wrist is broken. He says, but that can't be. I've not fallen or anything. They x-ray it again. They find a tumor in his bone. They give him six months to live. Four months later, he's his arm amputated above the shoulder over here. And six months later, he's dead. 39 years old. Been married for two years. See these things, they promise to deliver, they promise to deliver, but actually they can never fully deliver what they promise. And we find ourselves on this, this bloody way, this is life, and we find ourselves desperate, desperate for help. I need answers here. Yes, there are wonderful stories in life, but the truth of it is that in a world that is fallen in sin, Failing and falling and sickness and sin and darkness and dying are part of that life. And it doesn't, regardless of whether it's your wife's fault or your father's fault or your brother's, mother's, sister's fault, that's your aunt, by the way, one you love, or whether it was your own stupid, sinful, dark, proud, foolish fault, sometimes life happens that leaves us absolutely helpless. And maybe, maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe, hey, that's me. That's me, Wayne. That's where I am right now. I'm on this road and life has overcome me and I need some answers. Have you got an answer for me? I have. I have. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You need look no further. Your career might have stepped over you and passed you by. Relationships might have stepped over you and passed you by. Aspirations might have stepped over and passed you by. But I'll tell you this, Jesus Christ will never step over you and pass you by. He will always serve you, always love you, always get down in the dirt right next to you and lift you up. Always. Every time. You might have blown it, Wayne. I've blown it again and again and again. That's all right. You've blown it again and again and again, and Jesus Christ has paid the price once it was enough for all of your agains and again and again. The good Samaritan gave two coins. Jesus Christ gave his life. 
The good Samaritan gave of oil and wine. Jesus Christ gave of his flesh and his, and his blood. That's what he gave for you. The good Samaritan, he was just on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus Christ was on a journey from heaven to earth, totally turning his back on the perfect life he had lived so that he could give his life for you and it'd be good for all of eternity. The good Samaritan left this man in, an, in another one's care. And he said, when I come back, if there's more cost, I'll pay for it. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus paid all of the cost in one go. Then he doesn't leave you alone. Instead, he says, I'll send another one just like myself, the promised Holy Spirit. He will fill you. He will guide you. He will lead you. And then he leaves, Scripture says, where he goes to intercede to the Father on our behalf and prepare a place for us until he comes back to take us home. Jesus Christ is the true good Samaritan. He's the true good Samaritan. Now you say, but Wayne, how does that work? How does it work that you say we must love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul, and our neighbor and ourselves, and that's how you that's how you get eternal life? But then you're telling us that we can't do that. No, you can't do that. This is how it works. When the perfect Savior comes and rescues us and floods us with his life with no expectation of payback, knowing we could never pay back, it so fills us with his spirit. Actually, we are filled with his spirit. Scripture says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. When that happens, we are empowered to live the way we should have lived, loving God and loving neighbors, as an evidence that Jesus stopped for us. This isn't a proof. It's not something you're doing to earn his favor. He stopped on the road without you begging and pleading for it. It's not something you earn. It's an evidence of what, of what happens. So I want to I f- finish the story like this. Imagine there's a part two to the story. The Jewish man is now healthy and well, and a few months later, he's traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And along the way, he comes someone who's been taken over by the bloody way, lying there dying. Do you think the Jewish man stopped? Of course he does. Why? Because he remembers that he's been rescued and loved and didn't deserve it and shouldn't have had it and could do nothing to earn it and thought he had it all together, but he didn't. And he was loved and so now he's able to love. And then Jesus says, you two go and do likewise. Can we stand and pray?